Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. And we are here today for episode number 40 of What's the Data Point, uh, which feels like an accomplishment, even though I don't know why 40 has any significance. But uh, we're uh, 40 episodes in, including today, and we're excited to bring you today's episode. If you've missed any of the other 39, uh, go check them out and make sure that you're passing along what's the data point to friends and colleagues and family members and anyone else you see on the street or the subway. Um, so today we're bringing you another episode about policy in New York, uh, key health-related matters as well as budget-related matters. And we are joined today by Patrick Arecki, CBC's research associate specializing in the state budget and health policy issues, welcome. Thank you. And for our data point, here is Maria. 176,000, the number of New Yorkers statewide currently enrolled in Medicaid health homes. What are health homes? Health homes provide care coordination services for Medicaid enrollees with complex healthcare needs to link these individuals to a full spectrum of healthcare providers and other social supports. The theory is that by better managing these services, health homes can prevent unnecessary hospital admissions while improving the way enrollees access primary care, specialists, and social supports. It's a great idea, but it hasn't been without its challenges and implementation. My colleague Patrick has spent more than a year evaluating the state's history and experience with health homes and is here to discuss them with us today. Hi. Hi. And so as we discuss health homes and this important Medicaid initiative and obviously has major budget implications, uh, Patrick has co-authored a report that a lot of what we're discussing here today is included in, um, so everyone can find that on the CBC website, either reference it while you're listening, before you listen, after you listen, uh, and so on. And that's Options for Enhancing New York's Health Home Initiative. Um, so let's, let's zoom out, though, start big picture, Medicaid in New York. We've covered this on a previous podcast, but remind listeners uh, and those out there about how extensive Medicaid is in New York uh, in terms of dollars and people and, and anything else we need to know, and, and then where, obviously, Health Homes fits into that. Yeah, absolutely. So New York has a, a huge Medicaid program, both in terms of dollars and enrollment. Um, it's the second largest program in the country behind only California on both fronts. Um, there are just over 6 million New Yorkers that get health coverage through the Medicaid program, uh, and altogether it costs $70 billion annually now. Um, that's split between the federal, state, and local governments. Um, the feds pick up about $40 billion, the state about $24 billion a year, and then local governments chip in just um, below $8 billion a year. So it's a, a huge program. Um, in a national context and in terms of the state budget, it's the largest program in the state's budget year in, year out. Yeah, those um, are remarkable numbers. And as we've discussed on here, Medicaid and education are huge, huge drivers of, of what the state spends money on. That's mm -hmm. where it's at for the state budget. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two of the only areas really where growth is consistent year over year as well. So health homes, where does that fit in? Or did you want to say more about Medicaid generally? I kind of interrupted you yeah, there. Yeah, no. Um, so for, for a long time, as I said, Medicaid was one of, you know, obviously the biggest components of the state budget, but also growing faster than a lot of other areas of the state budget. Um, so, I mean, even recently from 2007 to 2011, uh, the rate of growth was pretty exceptional, often above 5%. Um, and from 2007 to 2011. annually, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Annually, yeah. Um, um, 
over that four-year period from 2007 to 2011, enrollment grew from 4 million to 5 million just over the course of a few years. Um, so 2011, enter Significant Cuomo. year, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Governor Cuomo takes office in 2011, and, and one of the big pillars of, of uh, his administration is going to be the so-called um, Medicaid Redesign Team, or MRT. So the MRT is housed out of the State Department of Health, uh, and the governor tasks them with pursuing what, what they call the triple aim, which is to contain or um, reduce cost growth in the Medicaid program while also improving health uh, and improving the experience for both uh, enrollees and providers. So Easy. It's, a, it's a, Easy. Yeah, an incredibly tall order in a vastly you know, sophisticated um, area of, of the economy. So um, the MRT, uh, in doing so, brings together just about everyone you can imagine um, to kind of spur this process along from not only clinical providers like hospitals, uh, primary care physicians, pharmacists, but also patient advocates and labor and community-based organizations. So beginning in 2011, the state uh, in the seven and a half years since then roughly has implemented almost 400 programs or initiatives um, within Medicaid to try to pursue that triple aim. Um, Some obviously bigger than others um, one of the big ones is capping the state's share of, of the cost growth in the Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. And they've done all this while enrollment has continued to grow. So, again, 5 million people enrolled in the program when Governor Cuomo takes office in 2011. Um, within four years, enrollment peaked at 6.4 million. So keeping that cost contained while enrollment continues to, to skyrocket is no you know, small task, obviously. Um, and the MRT has been pretty successful. Um, they've adhered to that growth cap uh, while maintaining or enhancing benefits for enrollees uh, and tried to bring more people to the table, and, and the MRT has been very effective. Um, so health homes are one of the initiatives of the yeah. MRT. And, and, and just quickly, I mean, obviously Medicaid is one of these things where with more than 6 million people enrolled, there's a lot of people whose lives it touches, but then it's clearly of great significance to all of us considering the budgetary aspect of this, whether it's the state budget funds that are being used or not being used or being saved or scaled back, mm-hmm. or then the local share. And that's, as you said, capping the state share and how localities have to also uh, kick in has been a source of great controversy and, and conversation and continues to be and mm-hmm. I think will be part of the discussion in this gubernatorial race, um, which will be interesting. And, you know, these, these are very important policy matters and budgetary matters. Yeah, though it's less controversial now because it's been frozen, right? The, yeah. The, the sort of the growth was capped for the locals and now it's been frozen. And so the sense is that it will be uh, a smaller and smaller share of the local budget over time, even though I think you're right. You know, New York is exceptional in that local governments pay or were required to pay for a long time a very large share of the expenditure, um, which doesn't make sense for many reasons. And if you want to know why, (laughs) read the paper on the CPC website where we advocate for a full state takeover of Medicaid expenses. But, yeah. And I was just going to mention that because I think the state Senate has repeatedly passed legislation to make that happen, but it hasn't moved elsewhere. um, It's complicated because then you would... It's a tall order, right? Yes. Yeah. The dollars, as we're talking about, are huge that are attached. So what you'd have to consider is what the resources are that would allow the state to facilitate that takeover, which means some change to taxation. Mm-hmm. So CBC has looked at the Medicaid redesign team, made some recommendations, but we're obviously zeroing in here on health homes. 
So, uh, before I again interrupt it, <laughs> we are going towards health homes. So, um, what exactly are health homes? Yeah, so CBC identified some of the biggest, most important things going forward for the MRT because it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to pursue that triple aim because the low-hanging fruit have been picked, so to speak. So health homes is one of the things that we identified a couple of years ago as being um, a really important issue going forward. Um, so the first thing when talking about health homes is to state what they are not. Um, I think if we walked into the street right now and asked the first 100 people um, that we saw, what, is, what do you think a health home is, they would think it's a brick and mortar location, right? Something like a nursing home. Um, but it is not that. Um, what a health home is, is a, um, it provides care coordination services through kind of boots on the ground care management staff. So you find um, in, in New York's program, the absolutely most complex uh, need enrollees, and you link them with a care manager who develops a really person-centered plan, it's individualized to the member, um, to try to link them with the appropriate services so that they're not going to the emergency room when they don't need to, or they're not forgetting to take their medicine as they should. Um, so it's, it's really linking those complex, high-needs individuals who, with the services that are most appropriate. And who is that? And what kind of, you say the most complex, you know, enrollees in Medicaid with the most complex needs. What are, what are we, talk, who are we yeah. talking about? Yeah, so there are a, a few criteria that would make one eligible. Um, the, the first kind of test is if you have one very serious chronic um, condition. So that's something like HIV AIDS, uh, serious mental illness, uh, serious emotional disturbance or um, in the case of children, a complex trauma. So if you have one of those things, you're eligible for health homes. Um, there's also a, a kind of second test to be eligible for health homes, and that's to have two or more other significant chronic conditions. So that could be um, someone who has both a substance abuse disorder and is bipolar, or someone that has hypertension and asthma. Um, so it's, it's a combination of two things that create a, a significant amount of, of need and, and care for that person. And how does that relate back to the dollars, right? It must be more expensive to treat these individuals, and what's the theory about how you get savings and more effective care by having these care managers? Yeah, so right before, the, as the state was kind of investigating the implementation of this program back in 2010, um, they looked at the top 100 costliest individuals that would probably be health home eligible and said, how much do they cost? And altogether, those 100 people in, a, again, a, at the time, 5 million person program cost $47 million just themselves. 100 people. Uh, 100 people. So about $470,000 a year to provide care to these people. It's um, astounding. Yeah, and the, it, the dollars and cents jumps off the page, but obviously what underlies the dollars and cents is that these people require a significant amount of health care services. Um, so what, it's very clear when you look at people with complex needs and, and costs that are that high, um, that there could be a, a tremendous benefit to coordinating their care. I mean, for comparison, the average Medicaid enrollee at the time was about $10,000 per person per year. So these people are nearly 50 times more expensive. And again, that's indicative of, of a huge need. Mm -hmm. So Health Home is not a location, it's more of an organization, right? Mm -hmm. And are these organizations affiliated with hospitals? How do we kind of place them in the larger healthcare network or how right. do we think about them? Yeah, they, they can be and there are several health homes that um, operate that are affiliated with a hospital or a hospital system. Um, some of them are standalone entities. Some of them are organizations that have existed kind of doing this type of work in predecessor programs for a long time. 
Um, so there are now 32 health homes operating across the state. Um, they have enrollees in every county across the state, too. So um, it's, a, it's really a statewide program. Right. There's always, I mean, or for at least a very long time, there's been organizations that go into people's homes and, and do health care, you know, not requiring people to come to a facility. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this sort of tried to enhance that, capture that, bring those under one umbrella for the most high needs individuals yep. right, that so are enrolled were- in Medicaid. There were several programs that came before Health Homes prior to uh, 2012 when Health Homes launched that tried to do this type of work. Um, they were much more kind of narrow in their scope, and then Health Homes brought them all together and also expanded upon the work that they were doing. And so Health Homes, talk about meeting expectations. Is, is has health you know Where is Health Homes at in terms of um, where they thought it would be or where enrollment was projected to be? Yeah, so um, right before this, the program launched, there were about a million people that the state thought would be eligible to enroll in a health home. Um, we are... So they sort of saw, thought that about, what, 20% of overall Medicaid enrollees would be eligible for this? Yes. It's pretty yeah, high that, number. Yes, yep, it is, it is. Um, so there is a significant, again, a huge opportunity to move the needle on these complex care people um, in, in pursuit of that triple aim. Um, since 2012 and the six plus years since then, the state's enrolled now 176,000 of those million people in the program, um, which is short of the original projections. Um, maybe the original kind of time frame was a little bit ambitious. Um, for example, in the first uh, three plus years, they, they thought they'd get to about 250,000 people. Um, obviously, we're still short of that six plus years on. Um, but what is, I guess, if you're you know going to look at it in a, in a positive light too, the enrollment has been consistently upward. So health homes enroll about 2,000 people a month like clockwork. So it's a net increase over and over. Mm-hmm. It's a slower trend than the state thought, but it is it hasn't reached a ceiling, for so, sure. So what's the mechanism for getting people enrolled? I mean, how does one encounter a health home, get registered in? Talk us through what that process is like. Yeah, so it's an entirely voluntary initiative. Um, the state doesn't compel anyone to become a health home member if they don't actively choose to be. Um, so originally when the program launched, the state had these lists of people that they decided from their health records were probably eligible. Um, and started disseminating lists out to these authorized health homes to reach out to the uh, enrollees. Um, That encountered some really significant challenges at first. Um, The demographic data and even some of the clinical data that was uh, passed down to the health homes was not um, up to date in a lot of cases. So the the care managers had a really difficult time just reaching out to these people in the first place. Um, And then the individuals that you are able to reach, again, it's you got to sell it to them. They have to decide that they want this. So just that they as want this over what? That they want this over the status quo, mm-hmm. um, over just accessing healthcare like they always why, have. Why should they make a change? Right. 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 What's the benefit to them? So it, there, there's a sales pitch required. And again, you know, the health home's name itself is the first barrier mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. someone doesn't want to go to a physical location and have their care dictated to them. Um, so you have to convince them that this is a person-centered, really individually tailored model for their benefit. Recommendation number one, (laughs) rebrand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So 
are there any other, sorry, are there any other barriers to increasing enrollment? Are there things that do need to happen to accelerate? This or do you think they're sort of, they, you know, you never know when you're launching something the first time, what your projections, how you're going to meet them. So at this point now, looking back, is it reasonable to say oh, they're doing a pretty good job and enrollment's increasing every year, as you, as you said it, it is, uh, so they're on the right track? Or should they be trying to really accelerate this? Because that's not a high number. No. I mean, and certainly, obviously, there are, there are growing pains and there's a learning curve when you're implementing an, an initiative this big. And the state and the health homes uh, and other healthcare providers have, have adapted along the way to, instead of that kind of so-called top-down approach where the state is passing down this information, um, the care managers go on site in a lot of cases. So they'll go to a hospital or to an urgent care center. Um, and if they find somebody that comes into that facility that is likely eligible for a health home, they can access them right there and say, you know, we have this model. It could be a, of a significant benefit to you. You should think about enrolling. And they may or may not say yes at that time, but they might come in again um, and repeatedly, and the, and the staff there can use that bottom-up approach to try to engage them. So that's one way that the state and the health homes have, have tried to adapt. And does is, is your view show that that bottom-up approach is more effective than top-down? Yeah, I, there isn't a, a ton of clear data on that, but just you know, speaking to health homes, it, it was very clear in pretty much every case that they find the bottom-up approach to be much more effective um, in reaching out to these people, and a lot more of their enrollees are through the, the bottom-up process. And so how does the state give funding to the health homes? Is it on a per-person basis? Do they get an allocation and then, you know, have to kind of uh, connect to the people and justify the expense? I mean, talk us through how the, the, the funding flows through here. Mm -hmm. So the, the health homes do get paid at first for the outreach process. So if they're trying to contact um, a potentially eligible member, they do get paid um, a, a little over $100. It's $110 per month to reach out to, a, to an eligible individual. Um, the state significantly tweaked those reimbursement rates. It used to be $135 a month, and you can do it for six months. Um, and uh, basically all you had to do was make an effort to contact the person. So there was a huge expense on that outreach that wasn't always as effective. So they've dialed that back and, again, tried to reform how the outreach process goes. Um, but once the individual is enrolled, uh, it's kind of the same concept where it's a, a flat monthly fee to keep that person enrolled. Um, the rates vary based on the person's need. Um, there's different rates for adults and children. There's different rates for upstate and downstate. So there are a, a lot of different rate levels that are tailored to, to providing the correct service for the individual. And all in, what's the state spending on health homes? Um, all told, since 2012, the state has now spent $2.2 billion cumulatively. Um, it's reached $560 million last year um, on an annual basis. And is, so what's the trajectory look like, assuming health, holds, health homes continue to grow at the pace they have been, say, in the last year or two? Yeah, it, the um, kind of cost has slowed in terms of the growth. So in 2016, it was $570 million. 2017, it was 558 million. So um, you you would expect a kind of incremental increase like that. Again, the rates have changed, um, so there are a lot of moving parts. But right around 600 million dollars currently is is what we would look at in the coming year. So we've kind of summarized that enrollment didn't meet expectations, but they're sort of tweaking it, starting to turn the corner in terms of getting more people enrolled. Um, 
you know, how else would you assess the performance of health homes? How does the state assess the performance of health homes? Yeah, and that's kind of the $2.2 billion question is, are they moving the needle? Everything is theory until it's results. So um, the the state in January of this year rolled out uh, what they call a, a performance kind of report card. Um, and that's to look at individuals uh, enrolled in health homes in each health home and try to assess how their care um, and their costs have changed. Um, so what they've, what they've found is that there is a very real drop in inpatient admissions and ER services for these individuals enrolled so far, which is really, really positive and in line with what you'd expect. Um, at the same time, because you're improving the way that they access care, uh, the, the individuals enrolled are going to the primary care physician more and they're getting their prescriptions refilled and taking their prescriptions as they're supposed to. So there is an increase in those um, services. So kind of on a pure medical ROI basis, it, it's more or less even. So there's no net savings in the short term um, that the state has noticed so far, but there's a lot to be said for improving, improving the, the care mix that they're accessing, um, which is positive. And then kind of the, the secondary thing is that these care managers are also linking the enrollees with other social supports. So they might help them with housing and, and other areas where they're in need of assistance and, and linkages to the social services. So overall, right now, where are you in terms of grading or assessing um, effectiveness? How do you sort of capture it? Just pull back for a second before we get into any more details. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it'll be really important as the state rolls out these report cards to look at um, how individual health homes are performing. And also you have to look at which subpopulations within health home enrollment are maybe receiving the most benefit and arguably more importantly, which ones are not um, because that is where you, you might need to tailor the program even more. So it's difficult right now to be able to, to say which subpopulations are receiving the most benefit and that's kind of the next step here is for the state to make that data available um, and kind of finalize those metrics for what is a successful health home and what is a successful enrollment. And so that's sort of some of what you're recommending is tweaks to the report card, to, uh, to how they're assessing. Yeah, really just implementation of the report card. Uh -huh. So it's, it's kind of a brand new concept that they rolled out in draft form in January, and they're working with the health homes now to kind of finalize what data is there and how they should be evaluated. Um, generally, the, the health homes are successful. They're... Uh, are obviously varying levels of success so far. So really drilling into that and finding out what is working and what's not will be important going forward. And Patrick, how much of this could be impacted by any crazy changes at the federal level? I mean, I feel like the conversation in the last 18 months has been about, uh, you know, there, there was a fear of a cut to Medicaid and to, you know, to, to these kinds of services. It continues to linger, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, even though the spending bill was, was passed that was mostly favorable, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but, could, you know, well, how could this be impacted? How could Medicaid more generally be impacted by any changes that have been floated at the federal level? Certainly. I, I mean, first of all, the health homes model was first authorized under the Affordable Care Act. Um, so that is where the federal authorization for health homes comes from. Um, obviously, the state had similar programs before and could, you know, hypothetically, if the ACA went together, went altogether away, 
um, the state might be able to, to work out an arrangement to continue this program with federal participation. Um, but that's a, a lot of ifs right there. Um, I think certainly changes at the federal level um, that would reduce the availability of federal funding or the amount of money that the state could spend. Initiatives like this that are, um, I guess, relatively, uh, I don't want to say theoretical or, or mm -hmm. soft, but more ambitious type of pilot type of programs mm -hmm. would be hypothetically the first to be reconsidered. Mm -hmm. So that's a threat. I mean, in terms of uh, the statewide perspective, the health homes model is really in line with the whole MRT objective, again, of um, linking social services to health care uh, and improving uh, the delivery of care to especially the most complex need people. So in our last couple minutes here, anything else um, that we should be looking for in terms of what's next? Um, any other things on the horizon here? There's obviously the implementation of these report cards that you're looking for. Do you have any is there any timing on that that we should be thinking about, or what else is, and anything else coming up? Yeah, that's still a, a work in, in process. Um, the MRT is, is I guess, in a, a sort of transformational period. Um, the, the MRT process was spearheaded by the state's Medicaid director for the last seven-plus years, Jason Helgerson, who, um, after the budget was enacted, he uh, uh, left state service. So the state's going to have a new Medicaid director um, with the new administration currently um, Temporarily, it's Donna Frescator who, who led the state's healthcare exchange um, and is vastly experienced. But, you know, there could be some kind of institutional change potentially. Um, but I, I think the MRT is so um, significantly embedded in state health policy now that, you know, the initiative is there, the inertia is there, um, the objectives of the MRT are going to continue regardless of, of who's at the helm. Okay. Well, uh, before Maria has a final word here, uh, Patrick, thank you. Thank you for the report on um, the 176,000, our, our, our data point here, the number of New Yorkers currently enrolled in uh, the Medicaid health homes. Check out the new report that Patrick co-authored. Um, we should just say that this is part of an ongoing research agenda that CBC has, as Patrick said, examining um, some of the potential challenges to the ongoing success of the MRT and the research is underwritten by the New York Community Trust. So if you're interested in this report, there's another one preceding it. There'll be another one due out next year. Also, of course, Medicaid is something CBC has written about for a long, long time. Um, so you can find all kinds of information about that on our website as well. And we'll be continuing to discuss Medicaid-related matters here and there on the podcast. So, Indeed. So uh, stay tuned for episodes on that and more. Thanks again, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.